This is Suzanne York with Humans Optimized. We specialize in change management for technology adoption by bringing together advancements in technology with elevated human skills. Our aim is to cultivate human-to-human and human-to-technology collaboration. This combination will allow us to take advantage of the immense opportunities in the future of work. Companies focus on their business strategies and the technology that will be needed to support these goals. However, the people development strategy is often neglected and needs to be just as robust to drive the intended results. What's needed to take today's technology experts and develop them into leaders who will effectively prepare us for tomorrow's trends? Here with me today to take on this big topic is Ebony Smith, founder of Ebonum Equation. Ebony utilizes her extensive experience and straightforward, authentic approach to leadership development to enable leaders to lead more effectively and inclusively. Specifically, she helps tech leaders shift from serving as subject matter experts to becoming highly influential, relationship-oriented leaders within their companies. Her ability to scan the horizon and anticipate what's coming allows her to help clients create concrete plans of action to mitigate risks and capture opportunities. Ebony, welcome and thanks so much for joining me today. Hi, Suzanne. Thank you so much for having me. It is a pleasure to join your audience. Thank you. Well, I am thrilled to have you talk with us for many different reasons, and one of which is your really unique background. Can you share to us share with us a little bit about how you got to where you are? Ah, uh, sure. You know, it's a roundabout way of pursuing things that have sort of been put in my path, but also interest me. So I have an undergraduate degree in chemistry with an applied science in biology. And strangely enough, I also am a minor in economics, just because I realized that I was good at those classes when I was an undergrad and I stuck with it and got a minor because I needed the GPA help, quite Mm. frankly. So my mother (laughs) would not have conversations with me at the end of every semester. And so um, from there, I went straight into graduate school and I got a master's degree in environmental protection and safety management. But I decided that I really just wanted to focus in on the safety management part of the degree. And so that's really what my concentration work is, was in. And it was really around how do people function in crises? Mm. And so my first jobs were all around, I was a risk manager for operational risk around, you know, employee health and safety and doing, um, I was the expert for DOT, OSHA, and RESPA regulations for the um, industry, the transportation side of the logistics in- of the oil and gas industry. So really just around logistics, you know, trucking, pipeline, terminaling, um, shipping. Uh, so that was my main specialty. What also was on the emergency response team for oil spills and employee accidents and things like that. So did a lot of operational risk and training and advising for teams for, you know, putting in oil pipelines that go through a river. Like, you know, people don't know, we'd, we'd put a coffer dam in, we'd dam up the river for briefly. And then, you know, we bring in, we send in the divers and our divers also have to be like, you know, welders and things like that. So just coming up with the operational plan to do it so that all the employees 
um, leave work the same way that they came in. And then from there, I moved to um, the trading side of oil. And I did that for almost 15 years. I was a scheduler, which I was moving product around the, the, the country, uh, doing supply and demand. But then I moved into financial derivatives for about 13 years. And I worked on a trading desk. And you don't get any more volatile in a different work environment every day than when you're looking at a market screen figuring out what's the next best move in this minute for the company's portfolio. And so, uh, yeah, and, and today I realized from working on teams, leading teams, every team is most affected by its leadership. And five years ago, I decided to take a year off and reset my compass. And during that time, I went to coaching school and I decided that transformational human risk was my next frontier. And really, it's a mixture of leadership development, strategic foresight, um, strategy and development, and executive coaching, where I partner with teams and leaders to get them to their next vision that they have for um, the team or the company, and really work on their own personal development and how do we create an experience that connects the employee back to the um, leadership intent of the CEO. What a fascinating journey and an incredible shift when you did, as you said, kind of reset your compass. And yet everything in your career is showing up in this moment as well. Yeah, it really has. And that's been great for me. I'm, I'm always able to, we're the sum of our experiences. And so I've been able to bring my whole self to this new part of my career. And I can imagine your clients were really grateful to not only your ability to coach and to help them find the link between what they're doing and the the bigger picture for their organization, but also your direct experience in these situations of, we say crises and volatile nature of it, because I feel like in technology, it's so dynamic and not hopefully not always a crisis or a volatile situation, Mm -hmm. but it's ever changing and ever fluid. And so your ability to, to draw on having been there really gives the credibility that they need, I would imagine. Yeah. And so not every volatile situation, you're correct, is a crisis, but some people's job is crisis. Like they're mm. they're on a crisis team, right? If you're an emergency room doctor, I work with um, an infectious disease team. Their entire day is a series of crises and <laughs> emergency response, right? And so that's the job they signed up for. If you think about all of our first responders, people that are doing various tasks right now, um, they're all, that's their job. That's what they signed up for. That's the adrenaline rush that they expect every day as they're moving forward. So um, yeah, it's, it's cool. Yeah. And how do you describe the skill set that you talked about in when you were describing the times when you needed to just determine what is the next best move in this minute? Um, I call that dynamic leadership. The leader is the person in the group who knows the next best move. Um, And Navy SEALs do it really well, and this is how they're trained, is that the leadership may shift, you know, 10 times in two minutes because it's the next best, it's the person who has the next best move that makes the decision for the team. And trading teams often work that way as well. We were very much um, commander intent driven, leadership intent driven, and our managers weren't there to to work on the day to day. It was to help set the strategy at the top of the day or the top of the week. And then 
throughout the week, we just, you know, perform trading wise towards that intent. And I would mm. say most people aren't explicitly thinking of leadership that way. Um, in some companies, they haven't even got, they haven't tried to evolve past the command and control methodology. And I would say right now they're hurting. You know, this phase that we're in currently um, inside of quarantine, many of their leadership development plans are not aligned with their uh, business interruption or business continuity plans. And their business continuity plans never tabletop drilled for uh, use for six months or 18 right. months is probably what we're going to be uh, at this phase for. And so they're showing um, a lot of stress marks and fractures and tears because people just weren't given the skills. So here we are in the need of transforming our skills immediately. What mm-hmm. what is that? What's coming up for you with your clients to help them take on this challenge that they they find themselves in if they weren't previously equipped to do so? I've given. There's one class I've given so many times in the past two weeks. I've, I've in the past two weeks I've given this class seven times for for oh, intact wow. working teams. Yeah, it's actually what are the five behaviors of cohesive teams? Like they this particular. Uh, organization hadn't spent a lot of money and time on team building. I think they thought it would happen, you know, serendipitously because people were in the office. Well, people haven't been in the office in six months. New people are joining. There are five foundations to a cohesive team. And the, the first one being trust. If you don't have trust, you can't get the results. And just kind of training through what does it look like? And having people understand the opposite of trust is not distrust, it's suspicion. Distrust is an emotional response to, tr- to trust when you don't have it. But the opposite of trust is actually suspicion. Hmm. And how do you let go of the suspicion so that you can be vulnerable and authentic in the moment so that people can build up a history of um touch points with you that leads them to want to extend trust at a greater level each time. And that's where a lot of this, the, um, I would say stress points in some teams are showing up or companies have done reorganizations and they've laid people off because of COVID and now there's new teams and Mm -hmm. these people won't ever have the experience for some time of actually seeing each other in person. Right. And needing to be really deliberate right now to create, like you said, a history together or some shared experiences so that people can create a sense of understanding somebody's character and competence, which is the trust model from um, Speed of Trust. So, yeah. So right now, trust is is something that we need to rely on. And if you didn't have that going into it or so much changed so that it needs to get renewed being deliberate about it, I can see it being high value right now. Yeah. I I always tell people, you know, attention energizes, but intention transforms. That's a really coachy phrase. Ooh, say Uh, that again. (laughs) (laughs) Attention energizes, but intention transforms. And so Mm. it's the intentionality of deciding before you go into that conversation or that project of what you want, what's the impression you want to leave on the listener? And what do you personally want to get out of the 
that interaction. Like if you set that intention before you go in, it helps focus your energy because energy needs a home and energy has its own leadership that goes into it. I won't go deep into that. That's really coachy, but there's a, there's an energy to leadership and there's different levels about how, how leaders show up inside that spectrum and just being really aware um, of what's going on. Cause leaders will move from awareness to consciousness. And it's in that growth that the teams really begin to do their transformation. And so just being aware, you need to set your intentions before you go in, before you have the conversation. Otherwise it's going to come across as very scattered. Yes. And, and you talked about the dynamic leadership. It does require that teams underneath them be agile to accept the constant change in direction. Yes. Um, because ambiguity. So if you talk about what VUCA stands for, VUCA stands for volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. The antidote to it is vision, understanding, clarity, and agility. That's a fantastic change in the in the acronym. Yes. And so I'm glad you brought up agility. It, it pained me to think like, you know, that's really what it's about when you're inside the scramble, which we're all in. And I would say, unless you are military or on some kind of tiger team, that's a response team, you have not been training for operating and leading inside the scramble. And this is really where people are where the stress comes from. Typically, if you think about something that's happened, I live in Florida. So like a hurricane comes, we have the hurricane and the rest of the state or the country, they're able to send resources to us. This And so, so that we can normalize our existence, you know, very quickly. This is right. one of the very first times that I can think about in human history where it's a global event. Right. None of us has the bandwidth to come and save other people. And so just like they teach you when you go whitewater rafting, you have to participate in your rescue. You must swim towards the shore so we can save you. This is the exact same thing. You must swim towards help if you want to be rescued during this phase. I really like that call to action for each of us to participate in our own rescue right now. Yes. That's amazing. Well, and I'd love participate. to Yeah, and and for each of us that participation looks different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and for leaders it likely does mean to tap into skills you may not have realized you had or wanted to to use in the past. Um and for team members it is about letting some of their non-traditional leadership show through. 100%. Um and then also realizing that one y- you're because you're now um, a schoolhouse, a restaurant, a home gym, a meditation place, a house of worship, um, the library, yeah. <laughs> the right. entertainment. All of that exists in however you've chosen to live. So if you're in New York City, maybe you're doing it in 600 square feet with two people. If you're in San Francisco, you may be doing the exact same thing. Yeah. How do you um, play all of those roles in your life and how can you design a better experience for yourself? Because a lot of this comes down, transformation comes down to um, creating a better design so that you can show up and 
knowing that you have to iterate on your designs. And so one of the things I, I, you know, my MTP for my company is that learning gets better through iteration. And my motto, my motto is iteration is our passion. Like in order for you to change and improve where you are and begin the transformation process, you have to go into a design thinking loop, which many of your tech clients will will know a lot about. And it's from there you um, will begin to see how you can make tweaks inside your environment for the experience to get better for all of the people that are um, important and functional to getting the product or service out the door. And so how can you iterate on the things that you already have? Mm, I think that's a really valuable way of thinking about it right now. And you mentioned some of the tech listeners out there. The path to leadership, even not in a a moment of pandemic or or challenge, the path to leadership has always been fascinating for me because you take a subject matter expert who's proven their skill set by being really technically adept at a certain piece. And now when you put them in a leadership position, that skill set is no longer what's needed to move forward. And so I'd love to talk more about how you help tech experts become highly influential leaders within their companies. And you mentioned a rebranding and uh, really helping them think differently about who, how they want to show up now. Yeah. So one of the things we I often talk about is like, what are you good at besides your subject matter expertise? And where would you, when people think of you, do you want them to think of you um, as the guy who dresses really well and stays up all night programming a project? Or do you want them to think of you as an, somebody who specializes in innovation, who's really great at executing strategy, who builds tremendous relationships and has the ability to recruit top tier talent um, at economical recruitment prices? Right. So whatever that kind of looks like, um, we can we dig into what their leadership values are and how they'd like for them to show up at work. And then from there, we come up with a strategy of what should three to five years look like for them and what's the first two or three uh, adjectives they want somebody to say about them if their name was brought up in a conversation and they weren't in the room. So a lot of that, like I said before, comes with the start of awareness and me actually teaching a lot of basic coaching skills. And these are skills that somehow companies think you're going to get through osmosis, but they don't really actually develop, um, devote the time to develop uh, the skills for leaders so that they extrovert these skills uh, instead of their, their technical expertise skills. So I actually teach people how to listen. Most people don't know that listening is very nuanced. And then once they mm. get listening down, we then work on what's the proper way to ask a question. And it's hard because yes. in the very beginning, I limit them to five words. Oh, I don't think I could be limited to five words. <laughs> right. But if you're trying to empower a team and get a full spectrum of opinions, thought leadership, and voices in the room, you have to limit the question to five words. Wow. And and for many people who are who are taking on a leadership position, it was their opinion that got them the visibility. And so now to let go of these opinions in order to make space for others is definitely a, a shift in in approach. Yeah, and it's hard. Like I, I'm not saying that it's easy, um, but 
we go through what does an empowering question look like? And then also what's a powerful question and how do you ask a series of open-ended thought provoking questions that'll shift the conversation and allow people to show up as their authentic selves in the process. And mm, that, yes, that, <laughs> that sounds like a game changer. That is the game changer. That's why some <laughs> tech companies have great leaders and others suffer from founder syndrome. Right. Oh, well, we'll get back to founder <laughs> syndrome. But before we do that, can you give us just one empowering question and one, uh, you had two things that you said um, in the types of questions that you teach them. Can you, oh, one uh, powerful. So empowering and powerful. Yes. Can you give an example, one of each? I can. So um, the, the number one thing I tell people to do is number one, you can no longer use the word why. It's a trigger. Uh. It, it will automatically cause defensiveness. So drop the word why. You replace why with, tell me how we got here. That's great. It's n- neither negative nor positive. You want right. to know about the journey because even if it's a failure, the learning comes from the journey of the process to design or development, right? Yes. Yep. And so that can be an empowering one and a powerful one. And say, and then a follow-up to that could be, you know, really around if you could change one thing, what would it be? Right? Because then the person yes. walks you through the journey, you, they told you. And then the follow up question is if you could have changed one or two, one thing, what would you have changed about this? Yeah. And then the idea is that's the thing you change going forward. Right. And so for them, if they're in a process development phase for, you know, a new iteration of software, the team really begins to think about what were the choices that they made that got us to this final product and what would they have shifted sooner in the development phase so that they could maybe have explored it a little bit differently? There's a whole series, honestly, of great questions, but this is the skill that is, I would say, harder for some versus others. And it's the one that's the most important. This is the table stakes for senior leadership. Mm-hmm. Everybody in senior, senior leadership at a company knows how has a subject matter expertise. The difference is you go from being a technical expert to a relationship expert. And so because people who are no longer producing the product are building relationships with the people who are, or they're trying to motivate them to get things done and move forward on the organization. And that's really, I would say, what sets people apart from their technical expertise to their um, leadership expertise is how do you motivate people so that they can show up in a really powerful way? Mm. And there's some, something coming up for me is this idea of tea leadership, where as you move up, you know, not only need to lead the teams that report to you, but also influence your peers mm-hmm. and others above you in, in executive positions. And so how do the questions show up when it comes to the, the peer relationships that you're trying to build that you may not have needed to build before? Um, I think, you know, it comes up because you may need to worry a little bit more about branding. Mm. Right. So the peer relationship becomes important because at a certain level, say if you're at C-suite minus one, until somebody on the C-suite leaves, there is no internal promotion for you. 
the right. only thing that you can hope for is a sphere of influence change. Yes. And, and so inside of that is, is a different skill. It's a totally different skill. And so the sphere of influence changes, maybe you go from running programming to running marketing because you need more of the commercial experience versus the technical build out. Maybe you go from finance into an operations role so that you can understand more about how the company actually makes its money instead of just reporting it out to senior leadership, right? All of those things are the spheres of influence changes that at C-suite at minus one that, you know, that people have to realize that it now becomes a series of go moves, not even chess moves, but a series of go moves and yes. how you view your career. And so the questions people begin to, to ask are still the, the powerful ones, but, you know, it's funny. I, I can think of a client who, um, she was a, a CMO. She had to negotiate a new um, facility for uh, the athletic team that she uh, w- was a CMO of. And she goes, so I've never negotiated a new practice facility. And I was like, oh, okay, that's, wh- how are you feeling? You know, I'm in my first 30 days on the job. It's important for me to attend this meeting. This is inside of what my team does around branding and marketing. But how do I show up? And I said, oh, this is the way that you show up. You just ask powerful questions and then you defer to the person in um, your org chart that you know is a subject matter expertise. And it's inside of finding the comfort with the powerful questions that you become prepared to lead in any situation without prep. That sounds like a really big shift in, in a good way. And what I hear in all of this is also the curiosity and the power of curiosity, mm-hmm. and which comes back to your point on listening. Yes. And, and amount of influence that we can do when people feel heard by us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it really is just about like figuring out how do you listen? I teach tips on like voice mirroring, which is a great skill that coaches use um, and that a lot of times people don't use, people think they're listening to wait for other people to talk when actually you're listening just to take in information. And so really grounding yourself in how to listen and how to ask right questions and bringing more curiosity into the relationship so that people have the opportunity to shine. Think of curiosity as the flashlight in the relationship that you can shine around corners and paths and think of criticism or closed-ended questions as a flash bulb. You are snapping a moment in time to memorialize it forever versus the flashlight is helping um, you navigate in ways that you may not even see at the current moment. And that tangible analogy really does bring to light, no pun intended, (laughs) the the important role that we play as we step into leadership positions. And what comes up for me is this idea that many of us are promoted and there's no playbook. And Mm -hmm. yet... I think there's an assumption that the new title comes with the new skills that are needed to excel in that role. And I find that the coaching happens at the executive levels, and yet I would love to see the coaching at the new manager level. You know, what is the playbook for new managers? And so if you had had one way to kind of unleash that type of a conversation, how would you talk about the first, the first 30 or 90 days of a new manager when it comes to creating their own playbook? 
I think you put them in a cohort. One, you need to find your your community, right? It's inside. Yeah. We're, we're mammals. We're humans. We like community. We like we're pack people. Find who your pack is. Um, if you haven't done this, specific things you need to do. Uh, personal board of directors. You need mentors, sponsors, and advisors. Mentors are the people who tell you about their experience. Sponsors are the people who will put you in the job and stand behind you and issue a guarantee to the organization about your performance. They will write a warranty for you, which Mm -hmm. is much different than a mentor. That's what a sponsor does. And an advisor is somebody you can go to in that time of crisis. Sometimes you're your mentor and sponsor may serve advisory roles, but other times they may not. Your advisory council may be your peers, mm-hmm. right? Because your peers hold a lot of um, information about what is it like to operate in this current work environment at this level. But the sponsor or the mentor will get you in the rooms where you don't have, the sponsor will get you in the room where you don't currently have a seat, give you their seat, stand behind you. The mentor will tell you about what was it like the first time they were let into the room and what they wish they had known? And, and so, the advisor helps you as you step into it. Yeah. Correct. Right. And so yeah. the advisor can be a coach. It can be peers, but you need somebody, a grouping of people that are going to bring a diversity of thought and experience to you so that you can begin to navigate it. And those people are, the best grouping are people you don't have a fiduciary responsibility to. So quite often, you know, you may ask your spouse or maybe your parents, but if you're paying their bills and contributing to the household, they're going to think about that first before they tell oh, you. Yes. They, they bring group. their own concerns to the conversation. Yeah, correct. And so that's why it becomes really important to think about who are the people on the board of directors and then figure out, is there like a mastermind? Masterminds are really um, used in, entrepreneurial circles, they are not used in large organizations and they really should be. A great facilitated mastermind slash group coaching program is a low cost way for an organization to really um, begin to elevate and upskill and reskill their, um, you know, entry level managers as they're getting their first roles and helping them get their feet under them in the first 90 days. Yeah, I've my eyes have been open to the power of masterminds as well, and and it took twenty years for me to even find them. So I can see a real benefit to bringing those into the corporate space. And as new new leaders, we we bring a couple of things with us, including a degree of imposter syndrome mm-hmm. and concerns about am I you know am I going to fail and what does failure mean? And so giving people a space to work through that so that they can show up and be deliberate and intentional, like you said earlier, on how do they want to shift their brand. Yeah. And so it's in that brand shifting and coming out of the strategy, doing a bit of foresight of what kind of action plan you want to create about where you want to be, that um, you have the vision so that you can be agile and move towards you know, this new branding that you want to have inside the company as you move away from being a technical expert into being a relationship expert, a person who's really great at motivating and incentivizing other people to produce, um, you know, a certain product service or um, needs that the company sells. And the technical expertise is is always interesting for me because of how fast tech moves. Mm -hmm. And so I can imagine as a tech leader, I'm more on the business and and tech than um, I've 
had different um, tech folks report into me, but I never knew their tech expertise. And so there was no expectation that I would be well-versed in mm-hmm. their uh, what they do. But for tech leaders to let go of being the at the forefront of all the latest technologies, I, that letting go process, I can imagine, is uncomfortable. Um, it is. I can think of one particular um, designer who does digital design um, who told me he's like their software that we're integrating. I've been a leader for four years. I am just not up to speed. And so he goes, I worry that in 10 years, if I continue in the leadership role, I just won't know what they're talking about at the meetings. And so what we, um, I said, okay, this sounds great. Let's think about what plan we can put forth so that you stay at the forefront of technology you don't have to produce it at the speed at which your team does, but you just want a, um, you know, a base level understanding. And so we talked about that six months a year for 20 to 30% of his time, he would join a project as a staff member. So That's his, great. So his second in command would lead that project. It would be yeah. one that he's not leading and he would join as a functional staff member so that he could stay on top of what was going on. Hmm. That's a, that's an interesting way to do that for sure. You know, the, the complexities of allowing a leader to step into their, their leadership position by cultivating their leadership skills, but also recognizing that they want to and should stay current on the latest tech trends. And yet those are two very different spaces where they need to be developing their own skills. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he picks it to do it on Fridays which works out well. He works at home on Fridays and those are the days that he's programming. That's great. Well, and what a, what a nice way to also go back to the, the parts of your job that probably excited you most to get you in the field in the first place. Yes. Yeah, for sure. And then also now he had uninterrupted work time. He goes, I can't program yeah. in the office because people are going to come right. in to, to want to talk to me. And he goes, and he goes, I was like, yeah, so now you have every Friday to look forward to uh, for half the year. And I was like, pick it during spring and summer. So that way when you stop at five o'clock, you can go out and play with your kids. Yeah. That's great. Well, uh, if you do it during the winter, you know, you don't have that opportunity. His children were small and he was like, oh my gosh. I was like, yes, design your life. So it works for you. That is a great way for us to tie together everything we've talked about. So designing your life and being really intentional about it. And we've talked about what it means to show up during this time of scramble. I loved the redefinition of VUCA. So turn it into vision, understanding, clarity, and agility. The, The need for listening and the power of questions and really owning your relationship expertise along with your tech expertise. Yes. Yeah. Is there anything else you were hoping to share with, with people today? No, I think that's great. It might be a lot, but I, and I understand. Take in what you can right now and then come back and listen to the episode and integrate the next bit. That's a great idea. And I loved the idea of the personal board of directors and um, your advisors. And then our responsibility to turn around and serve on someone else's personal board of directors. So Absolutely. That's great. Well, I'd love to share um, information about how folks can get in touch with you if they'd like to learn more. You're very active on LinkedIn, um, and so that might be one place, but how else could people get in touch with you? So I'm Ebony Smith Coach on LinkedIn. If you go put that in the search bar, I will pop up. And then you can follow me at Ebonum Equation Coaching on Instagram, um, and my website is ebonumequation.com. 
so that I know will be uh, on the, the, the info for the actual episode. Uh, if you're wondering where I got Ebonum from, it's Ebony in Latin. Uh, I oh. needed a clean trademark uh, when I was oh, filing. Very good. And so it's That's just ebony in Latin, and it was clean and easy, and um, it was a word I was going to go with. Well, that's fantastic. And Ebony, you do amazing work, not only um, for your clients, but also for the world. And I have thoroughly enjoyed getting to know you over the past couple months and more specifically during this conversation. So thank you for your time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode. For more information and to contact us, visit www.humansoptimized.com.